Like David said, my name is Stevie Franks, and I work with the students here at Grace City, and I just want to welcome each and every one of you here this morning. So Disney has recently been remaking many of the classics that we all know and love. Uh, Lion King just came out, uh, but they made, remade one of my all-time favorites uh, probably here just a few months back, and that was Aladdin. And I, I love Aladdin. And I remember as a kid watching Aladdin, it would always just spark up so much just imagination in my young mind. Like how awesome would it have been, right, to like just have a genie that would just like grant uh, three wishes, anything you wanted. Like that would be so cool to experience that. And as a kid, you know, and if, if you know anything about me and kind of how I grew up, uh, you, you probably would realize that if I had three wishes, one would probably be, you know, a never-ending bottle of Mountain Dew as a kid. Uh, I love that and still do. Um, another one would probably have been like a fudge round the size of a house. You know, that probably would have been my second wish. And uh, so that would have been super cool to do that. But and today, you know, I've grown up, I've matured. I'm a man, and I can honestly say that probably still would be my wishes today. Um, except the third would probably be like a cure for diabetes and weight loss gain because I definitely would have that after all of that, after a huge fudge round. But how cool would it be, right? To have a genie answer any of our heart's desires. And, uh, and what we'll see today as we go into to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there, is that God comes to King Solomon and asks him for whatever he desires. This is something that's better than a genie in a lamp or a genie in a bottle, if you're Christina Aguilera, uh, or any of that. But it's where it's, it's better than any wish you could have from some powerful genie, but the God of the universe, right? The God that created the stars and the galaxies and, and even knows the number of heads on our hair, that God came to Solomon and asked him whatever he wanted. So today as we, as we look at this, we see that King Solomon is responding in a humble way that King David, his father, has passed away that we've been going through the last few weeks if you've been with us through the Gospel Project. And David, one, the greatest king Israel ever had known, had passed away. And now his son Solomon was inheriting the throne. So as we look in the scripture today, we'll see that, that God, we, we, as we desire wisdom, as in our lives, when, when trouble comes, when things come that we need to know the answers, we need to know what to do, true wisdom is, fine, is found from the Lord. And we'll see this example set through King Solomon. So if you will, uh, pick up with me in 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the examples that we've seen throughout Scripture of, of how to live out your truths and Pray that this morning as we, as we study First Kings and as we think about wisdom, that you will speak to each one of us through your word and that we'll see that it is you 
who is the source of true wisdom, who is the source of all knowledge, all answers that we can seek, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So now Solomon is getting ready. He, he is now king of Israel. And uh, history tells us that King Solomon was most likely about 20 years old when he inherited the throne. So that's pretty young. And this king is now over all of God's people. And God comes to him in a dream and asks him for whatever he wants. And you know, he could have asked for anything selfishly. He could have asked for, for gain, for political power, for gain, for, for honor, for riches. But Solomon approaches God in a way that we see as an example here, that that wisdom, and to find wisdom, it starts with a posture of humility. That that's where wisdom starts, and that's where Solomon starts with, with God. That as God comes to him in this dream, instantly, Solomon doesn't freak out. He doesn't like start, you know, just anything like asking God for all these things, but he, he approaches God in humility, in his wisdom. So that's what we see is the, the beginning of wisdom. And look how what he acknowledged about God. And that's the key today is what Solomon acknowledged about God. In verse 6, it's three things. Solomon acknowledges the love of God in verse 6. So we see wisdom begins with acknowledging who God is. So verse 6, Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. So Solomon already, God has come to him, and, and he is literally experiencing a a he's experiencing communication with God, the creator of the universe. And the first thing Solomon does is acknowledge God for who he is. God, you are the God of love. You showed love to my father, David. He, he, is, he is putting his heart, he's posturing his life in the right way of approaching God. He acknowledges the love of God. Second thing he acknowledges is the promise of God. It continues in verse 6 and 7. That and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. So in 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with King David that, that his throne, his inheritance would be on the throne for all eternity. Right? That the offspring of David would rule over Israel and the world for all eternity. And we see already that Solomon is banking on this truth. That he probably feels unworthy. He's 20 years old. He, he acknowledges himself that like he doesn't know to come, how to come in or out. He's but a young boy. And yet God is being faithful to his promises to David on establishing David's throne for all eternity by appointing Solomon, his son, as the new king of Israel. So Solomon is once again posturing his life to the love of God and the promises of God. And thirdly, we see he acknowledges the omniscience of God. So omniscience is just a big theological term that God is all-knowing. That God, being the creator of the universe, knows everything from eternity past, present, and eternity future. God knows all. He knows everything. In verse 8, Solomon says, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So Solomon is acknowledging, God, you have, you have chosen your people Israel. Right, that before the creation of the world as we know it, God had a plan. And God knew what he was going to do in his creation. Yes, he created Adam and Eve. Yes, Adam and Eve fell and, and sinned in the garden. But that wasn't the end of the story. Praise God. Right? And, and, and his back, it wasn't a backup plan for God. It wasn't plan B to, to rework his creation. But in the very beginning, he, he knew in his omniscience what he was going to do. And he was going to raise up a nation through Abraham that would be his light to this dark and broken world. That would bring people to see the true God, Yahweh, 
And that through Israel, he would bring an eternal king that would rule over his creation for all eternity, that would heal the broken world, that would comfort this broken world. So that was in God's plan originally, and he knew it. From eternity past, he knows everything. So Solomon is now banking on that. He is, he is in a conversation with God, and he acknowledges, God, you are loving. You are a promise-keeping God, and you're all-knowing. Like you, you know everything. This is the God that Solomon was approaching. This is the God that we approach every time we come to God and as we walk our lives. And, and this is the beginning of wisdom for Solomon. This humbly approaching God, this humble posture. And we know that Solomon was granted wisdom in that he wrote many, most of our Proverbs that are found in the book of Proverbs. He, um, it's mostly widely believed that he wrote Ecclesiastes, so on Solomon. So much of our wisdom literature that we have in Scripture was written by King Solomon. So we know God did grant him wisdom. And in Proverbs 1, in Solomon's writings, in verse 7, he wrote that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So your scripture may say wisdom there for knowledge and wisdom is kind of using it interchangeably. So the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, where do we start? Where do we start with finding wisdom, finding knowledge? It starts with fearing the Lord. Does that mean that we like shudder and tremble at the name of God? And yes, he is worthy that he is all powerful. But to fear God isn't, isn't being scared of God. Right? It's, it's not being scared that if I sin today, I'm probably going to get flat tire on the way home. Like, no, that's just north side drive, right? Like, it's not being fearful of that. It's the fear of the Lord is to, literally, it's to, to put God in his proper place in our lives and to put ourselves in our proper place. So it's to focus our lives on who God is, this, this loving God, this promise-keeping God, this omniscient God, and we respond likewise. We respond with reverence. We respond with worship. We respond with loving him. We respond with serving him, being obedient to what he's called us to do. That is fearing the Lord, knowing who God is, and living our lives in light of that truth. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of knowing what to do in life, knowledge and wisdom of life. It, it begins and it is, set, it is set in the foundation of understanding who God is, the true source of wisdom. If he's omniscient, he is wisdom. He knows all and in him is all, so we go to him, the source. We, we place him at the center of our lives. And that's what Solomon was doing here. As we see in verses 5 through 9, that he was, he was placing his life, posturing his life around the truth of who God was. He showed love. He kept his promises. He was all-knowing. He was humbling himself before the Lord, acknowledging that in humility. That's the beginning of wisdom. And we know that God provided that wisdom to Solomon. As we, I talked about, he wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But instantly here, we have a story of Solomon's wisdom being exercised. If you will, pick up with me in verse 16 of chapter 3. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. When we were alone, there was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. We get it. You were alone. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
Now, I just finished up like 10 weeks of birthing class, so I'm like instantly like, nope, that's nope, that's a no-no. You don't sleep in the bed with the baby, right? You got to have something there. So like my, I already see Haley, I paid attention in birthing class. Verse 20, and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Just a straight up like Maury or Jerry Springer episode right here, right? Like it's just craziness going on before the king. But then this king Solomon that God gifted all wisdom to. Then the king said, no one says this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. The one that says this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they had perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So we see instantly with the story that God was faithful and provided wisdom to Solomon, who asked in a humble posture before the Lord, and God granted him with wisdom. And because we know because God, because Solomon asked for wisdom, not for himself, but to lead God's people, God did bless him with wisdom and also with honor and riches because of what he asked. And so God was faithful. God kept his end of the bargain to Solomon. God was faithful, and not only was he faithful to the promise to David and to Abraham, but he's being faithful right here to Solomon, doing what he said he would do. See, God is a provider, right? He, when his children asked, come to him humbly and, and ask him for things, he is faithful to grant. When we come to him in the right posture, in the right humility, asking for things for, for his kingdom, for doing things that he's called us to do, and James says this and writes this in, in, in his letter in James 1.5. He wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. This is like one of those like walk-off verses. You know, I could read this and just walk off and we're good. Like that's, that's it right there, right? Like we ask God if we lack wisdom and he gives it to us. He is faithful to give. So if we're wondering, we have questions. We have doubts. We need wisdom. We need to carry this life. We need something to, to help us as we walk. God is faithful as we ask him for wisdom. He is faithful to answer that prayer. And he did it to Solomon. And that's what this whole story is about. But not only, not only that, but what's the purpose of God answering our prayer? What's the purpose of God giving his children wisdom? We see it in verse 28. Where they said, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So the whole reason, the whole idea of God, the gracious and loving gift giver, giving gifts to his children, is not just so that we could have nice lives. It's not so that we can have blessings. It's not so that we could, could be better. 
But God gives us gifts so that we can turn that around and bless him with it. God gives us gifts so that we can bring glory to his name. It's this idea of God giving us a gift and we turn it around and we give it back to the gift giver. Because it's him who deserves all glory. It's him who deserves all the praise through, through our lives, through the gifts he has given us. So for you, what are those gifts? Right? That maybe for you it's, it's prosperity and God has gifted us all with prosperity to an extent. Maybe God has just blessed you so much and how can you live your life in a way where you're using the gifts that God's given you, the prosperity to, to bless those around you? Right? To bring glory to God. Where when, God when people see our gifts, they're saying, look at what God has done through that. Maybe for you it's hospitality. Right? Maybe it's gifted you with the spirit of just warm and welcoming uh, people around you, making them feel comfortable. How can you live that out and bring glory to God? <laughs> Guest services. <laughs> uh, whatever that may be for you, right? Maybe it's cooking and you could be a part of the team that, that bakes the, the communion bread each week. Maybe for you it's teaching. Maybe it's engineering. Maybe it's serving. Whatever that looks like, how can we use the gifts that God has given us to turn it around and bless the gift giver? Because the whole reason that it boils down to the reason he gave us our gifts so we could glorify his name with those gifts. And use them for his kingdom, for his glory. And thankfully Solomon was doing that. When, when these people saw King Solomon live out his, his wisdom and exercise that injustice, people were able to give glory to God. Because they saw his wisdom perceived it not being from Solomon. Not because Solomon was a smart dude. Because Solomon had the knowledge and the wisdom of God. He feared the Lord. He put God in his proper place and responded likewise. And people saw that. And it brought glory and blessing to the name of Jesus, of God. And that's, why, and that's why God gives us gifts. Sadly, the story doesn't end perfectly or doesn't continue perfectly for Solomon. As we know in Scripture that Solomon wouldn't always be the wisest man. Even though he possessed wisdom, he didn't always live it out in the right way. And he began to seek after riches. And, and he would marry a bunch of women just for political gain and, and all these things. And so he, wasn't, he didn't constantly live his life placing God and fearing the Lord and putting God in his rightful place. Solomon didn't always do that. So if we look at Solomon for the perfect example of wisdom, it's going to fall short. If we look at any person as the perfect example, it's going to fall short. But thankfully, God didn't end wisdom and the source of wisdom with Solomon and his example. But God would not come to us in a dream like he did Solomon. But God would come to us in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. That in, in Jesus, God came to the earth and embodied all wisdom and knowledge and, and was faithful in his life and, and lived the life, a perfect life on our behalf. Died a sinner's death on the cross on our behalf was put in the tomb and raised three days later to prove that he was who he said he was, that he was the life, he was the way, he was the truth. Right, and that, that in Christ, as scripture tells us, he is wisdom. He is where we focus our eyes. In Colossians 2, Paul writes to the church there in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it is in Christ that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Any, any wisdom that we could seek is in Christ. And in the chapter before this, in Colossians 1, 
Paul writes in verse, in verse 19 that for in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So in Christ, the fullness of God, the omniscient God, the God that knows everything, was pleased to dwell in the person of Christ. So now that in Christ, we have the omniscient God, past, present, future, all-knowing God in Christ. So as we seek Christ, as we fear the Lord, putting Christ at his proper place in our life on the mantle of our lives, we receive wisdom because we see him, we put him there, and we respond likewise to the love of God, to the promises of God, to the omniscience of God in our lives. Because Christ holds all the wisdom, right? He came to us. And as we place faith in him, as we walk this earth, kind of leaning into him, we find that wisdom. So whatever that may look like for you, how do we find wisdom? So as Proverbs tells us to fear the Lord, as we've seen, to fear the Lord means to, to put Christ on display, to put God where he belongs and us where we belong. We respond likewise in serving him, in worshiping him, in revering him. So to find wisdom, to find the answers, we do that. So that means that in life, not if the storms come, but when the storms come in life, when we lose someone we love, when we're hurt, when we're faced with doubts and questions, when we, God is calling us to take a step of faith, but it is absolutely frightening and paralyzing. It's in those moments when we need the wisdom of God more than ever. Maybe for you it's major life decisions. Maybe for you it's just getting you through the next day. What does that look like? So what does it look like for you to fear the Lord as a parent? You know, to to fear the Lord, to place God in his proper place as a parent, to know that, okay, God, I am serving my, my spouse and my children, and not for me, not for selfish gain or desire, but I'm putting you at the forefront of my marriage and my, my, my family. And so as I raise my kids, I'm doing it in light of who you are, not myself, but in light of who you are and your calling for my life. Or maybe it's as an employee, right, to know that, God, you didn't put me in my job just to get a paycheck. Thank God that we, he does. We do have that. But God, I know that, that you put me here because you have a purpose and design for me here in my career, in my job, in my workplace, around the people that I'm around, so I'm to use this. So if I'm putting God in his proper place, I'm going to know and see that if God, what God is calling me to do, if he is the king of my life and he is the center of my life, then I'm going to live my life at my work, at my job, in light of who he is. So I'm going to love those around me. I'm going to serve those around me. I'm going to allow them to see my love for God and how I treat them, how I speak, how, how I serve, all these things. That when we put Christ where he's supposed to be and live our lives in light of that, we're, we're fearing the Lord. And that's the wisdom God desires for us to know. What's your next step? Seek God. What's your next step? Lean into Christ. It's this idea of a small child right, just being scared and, and leaning into the arms of a father. It's this idea that when we're seeking wisdom in life, when we're seeking answers, we lean into Christ who holds all knowledge, who all the, the mystery of God dwells in God, in Christ. And yes, it's, it's, it's easy on paper, right? Like it's easy to sit here and say this and do this, but it's in the day-to-day. -day. It's when we face the storm, when we face the struggle, how are we going to respond when we're seeking answers, when we need wisdom from God, is taking that step of leaning into him, 
putting our lives where we're supposed to be, of putting Christ where he's supposed to be and focusing on him. Even in the midst of, of murders and shootings, even in the midst of brokenness and pain in our own lives, in our own families, right? As we focus on him and think about what he's done, the gifts he's given us, the place he's put us, to know that in him, the fullness of God dwells, and now through the Holy Spirit, God literally pleased, is pleased to dwell in each one of us so we don't walk alone, we don't live alone as we seek wisdom and we seek answers in life that he is in us. As we, as we accept Christ and walk in him, he's constantly walking with us through the storms. He's walking with us through the doubts. He's walking with us through the questions because of Christ, because of what he's done, and as we focus on him. And this is far better than a genie. Right? This is far better than, than getting three wishes from some cool, awesome guy that can sing well that's blue. But we're focusing on the God of the universe that was pleased to come and die on our behalf. And pleased to walk with us in this life and give us the answers. Give us all we need as we walk alongside of him. And that's wisdom. And he is the source of that wisdom. Let's pray. God, thank you that regardless of what we bring into this place, regardless of what we're struggling with and the doubts and questions and hurting or even in the good times when we're scared, we don't know what's next, that regardless of what we're walking through, we know that, that you know. Because you're omniscient, because you are God, you know all things. And, and today, as we studied your word, thank you for the example of Solomon who humbled himself before you. I pray that you help us humble ourselves before you each and every day to know that, that to fear you means to put you number one and that in you dwells all that we can imagine and hope for and need, God. So help us do that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing a way for us to know knowledge and to know wisdom because of you and what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. So just as David said earlier during the welcome, as we do communion each and every week here at Grace City, it, it draws us back, yes, to the brokenness of the world, yes, to our own hurt, our own pain, but it draws us back to the, to the cross, to what Christ did on our behalf. And as we do that, this is, is part of fearing the Lord, is part of responding to who God is, right? Communion is, is yes, it's simply dipping bread in some juice, but as we do that, we're responding to the cross event. That the God of the universe was pleased to die on mine and yours, on your behalf. Now in him, we have life and life abundantly. So as we respond this morning, what ha how it happens at Grace City, how we do it is, is I'll uh, read a verse, one of the verses, passages we find, communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And then I'll pray and we'll stand up and as God prompts you, as you lead, you can come forward, dip the bread and the juice and return back on the sides to your seats. Now this is for believers. This is for an act of response for those who have received Christ and who are part of his kingdom. But the good news today is that God is inviting us all there, right? Regardless of what we're trading through in life, regardless of what pain or suffering you've experienced, that today there's healing at the cross because of who God is and what he's done on our behalf. So we can respond to that too. So if you need to speak with someone about that, there will be pastors, men and women up front who would love to speak with you this morning. I'll read the passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Lord, we await that day when you're coming back for us. But as for now, we put you as the center of our lives. Thank you for loving us for this broken body and shed blood on our behalf. In Christ's name.